The Patriots are alone in first place in the AFC East, but they needed a controversial call to help them get the win they needed to get there. We'll get into that, plus we'll evaluate the state of the Patriots with six games down and ten more to go. It's Monday, October 16th, 2017. I'm Chris Gasper, and this is Season 10. Welcome to Season Ticket, a daily podcast from the Boston Globe Sports Department and WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Well, it wouldn't be a Patriots-Jets game without a bizarre play. Five years ago, it was the butt fumble. Jets quarterback Mark Sanchez running into the backside of one of his linemen and fumbling for a Patriots touchdown. I have never seen this before in my life. Watch this. Vince Wilfork is going to throw Brandon Moore back into his quarterback. He's going to fumble the football. Mark Sanchez not expecting it, and it was the backside of Brandon Moore that knocked the ball out. In 2013, it was an obscure pushing penalty on a field goal against the Patriots that allowed the Jets to retry the game-winning field goal in overtime. This time, we have a phantom fumble. What did you think? Fumble or no fumble? Okay, if you didn't see the Pats-Jets game Sunday and you don't know what we're talking about, you definitely have to listen in. The Patriots beat the Jets Sunday 24-17 in their first divisional game of the season, but the outcome could have been a lot different in this hotly contested and debated game. To recap here, the Pats were down 14-0 after the Jets struck early for two touchdowns, but the Patriots came back with Tom Brady finding Rob Gronkowski for a pair of touchdowns. Brady, it's complete! Rob Gronkowski, they're not going to stop him! Touchdown, Patriots! Those put the Patriots ahead, but the game's biggest moment and controversy was still to come. Joining me now in studio is Boston Globe sports reporter Chad Finn, Chad, welcome. How are you? I'm good, Chris. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. So obviously the play we're talking about is Austin Safarian Jenkins, the tight end of the New York Jets. It's second and goal from the four-yard line for the Jets in the game at this point, and they are down 24-14. to It appears that Austin Safarian Jenkins has gotten into the end zone. He has put the ball on the pylon, which is crossing the goal line, and this is going to pull the Jets... Within 24-21, assuming they make the extra point with about 8 minutes and 24 seconds to go. In fact, the referee there, the official, I should say, signals touchdown. McCown locates his tight end. Safarian Jenkins battling for the pylon. He's in. Touchdown, Jets. And then they send it to video replay review. (laughs) What a turn of events here. Tony Corrente looked at the replay. They've determined that Safarian Jenkins lost control of the football and they're ruling it a fumble through the back of the end zone. I, I'm just trying to fully understand the call. Did you think this was the right call? Uh, I, I think when you're watching that in real time, if you're watching it from a Patriots perspective, your best hope at that moment was, okay, they tackled him short of the goal line. Maybe it's the Jets ball at the one. I don't think anybody was expecting replay to overturn uh, the play to the degree that they did, where it's a touchback and uh, Patriots get the football. But you watch it, and all of the Patriots players, I think it was Malcolm Butler and Patrick Chung, were the, were the two most notable, were waving that he had lost the ball. And then you see this AP photograph where uh, he's going down and the ball is sort of in between both of his hands. So you can see where the fumble occurred. I think the mystery is uh, what happens after that, because I never saw on the CBS broadcast a clean shot of what happened of the football coming out or going uh, out of bounds or whatever they said it said happened i don't know how they saw this on replay enough to overturn it that that's the big mystery with all this to me well what's interesting to me about it is i think it's entirely possible that 
suspended in midair. He, <laughs> he, he, he lost the grip on the football, and we can see that because of replay. But when he came down and hit the ground and hit that pylon, I think he still had the football. That should be a touchdown. And what they were sort of saying is because he lost it in midair, yeah. that he had to reestablish possession. And in order to do that, he had to re-grasp the football and also sort of touch down inbounds. To me, that, that's antithetical to everything we know about how you score a touchdown. I'll give the example. How many times have you seen a guy down by the goal line just leap in the air and stretch the ball out over the goal line? Right. And then it gets knocked away. And they don't say that's a fumble. Already a touchdown. The moment, if you have the ball and you touch the goal line, the pylon, that's a touchdown. And they're sort of saying in this circumstance that he had to somehow, you know, go to the ground with the ball and reestablish all this stuff. And it, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, certainly a fortuitous play for the Patriots and good hustle by Malcolm Butler. But can you imagine what we would be saying today if the roles had been reversed, if this had been Rob Gronkowski going in? Uh, stiff-arming smaller defenders <laughs> and having the ball momentarily jostle loose uh, only to regain control of it and then hit the pylon in, in what has looked like a, a, a touchdown. Can you imagine people's reaction? Well, I think what you're getting at there is it's a very Jets thing to happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I, I, you mentioned it earlier on, but uh, these strange things seem to happen in this, I don't know if you call it a rivalry because the Patriots have certainly dominated them in recent years, but they've played tougher games down there and it's where uh, in New Jersey and it's where these quirky things tend to seem to happen uh, you brought up the Nick Folk winning field goal when Chris Jones got called for that weird penalty the butt fumble uh, this one to me was just more confusing than anything else because I don't think in that moment anybody expected that play to be overturned I think they expected that uh, the Jets were going to score a touchdown on the next play you know there are probably people in other parts of the country who look at this and say, man, the Patriots always get these calls. Because to me, it was somewhat reminiscent of the tuck rule, which you go back to... Never heard of it. Yeah, the 2001 season and that playoff game uh, against the Oakland Raiders. And it looked like Tom Brady, a young Tom Brady, who was not Tom Brady yet, had fumbled. Uh, Charles Woodson had stripped the ball. Brady calling signals. The direct snap to Brady. Standing in there. Looks to the left, loses the football. It's on the ground. And let's see if it's a fumble or a pass attempt. I believe it's going to be called a fumble. It is. Quarterback's arm was going forward. It is an incomplete. All right. Patriots retain the ball. And it wasn't a fumble, and the Patriots went on to win their first Super Bowl. And to me, this was kind of like tuck rule 2.0. Like, just instinctively, you look at that play, and you say touchdown. Instinctively, right. you look at the tuck rule play in 2001, and you say, that's a fumble. I think they're in the same situation where you categorize them as correct interpretations of stupid rules. <laughs> yeah, or, I like that. <laughs> or, or, I mean, I think they got this right, right? They did get the tuck rule right, even though everybody on earth watching that looks at it and says, that looks like a fumble, that's a fumble, his arm was coming in. Uh, this it sounds like they got the call right, even though you look at it and say fumbled it out of bounds, Jets ball at the one. Yeah, the interesting thing is that they ended up a couple of years ago doing away with the tuck rule yeah. because they realized uh, that it was a stupid rule. And I wonder if they'll do the same thing here because in every other circumstance, it's a touchdown. But hey, the Patriots will take it. And, and frankly, defensively, that's the kind of help that, that they need. You look at what happened in this game, Chad. They didn't have Stephon Gilmore. He was not playing due to a concussion that came up on Saturday, kind of surprised everybody. And that was a big loss. He's a starting cornerback for them. They played pretty well defensively in terms of the points. They only give up 17 points. But once again, it's another 300-yard passer. In six games this season, all six quarterbacks that have faced them have passed for more than 300 yards. And every team has gone over 400 yards of total offense. That's concerning to me. 
This is the most alarming one of all because you look back at those quarterbacks going over 300 yards. There's a couple A-list guys on there. Drew Brees for sure. Uh, Deshaun Watson looks like a runaway rookie of the year who had his real breakout game against the Patriots. Even uh, Alex Smith's having a terrific year from the opener for the Chiefs. He's had a great season. Sunday was 38-year-old perennial backup Josh McCown. I mean, if you look up journeyman quarterback yeah. in the dictionary, there's a picture of Josh McCown there. He's in the league because he's a good guy and, and he knows his role. Uh, he's he's not somebody who's going to save a season. Frankly, the Jets are trying to get a high draft pick this year. Their, their winning is uh, kind of getting in the way of what's best for them. They're winning a couple of games. But uh, you know, when Josh McCown does that after they have 200 and something yards of total offense against the Cleveland Browns a week ago, that's alarming. Yes, they were without Gilmore. Yes, they were without Eric Rowe. But uh, those uh, Gilmore in particular was the guy who was sort of getting blamed for their issues before, and uh, I think it became clear Sunday that it's not entirely his fault. They had some of the same mistakes they've had without him that they've had with him. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Josh McCown, 31 of 47, 354 yards, two touchdowns and two interceptions, and those loom large in the game. One to Malcolm Butler right before the half, and another one to Devin McCourty in Patriots territory. So the Patriots did get the turnovers, which they needed. Another thing about this game that I found interesting was the performance of Deion Lewis. Uh, 11 carries, 52 yards, and a touchdown. I have been saying since the first game of the year against the Kansas City (laughs) Chiefs, where is Deion Lewis? Me too. He was like in the running back witness protection program. I feel like sometimes Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels, he has so many weapons and so many toys that he just loses guys. And finally, they rediscovered Lewis. To me, he's their best running back. Yeah, but he's he's much better between the tackles than he gets credit for, too. You look at him and say, ah, oh, fast guy, good in the open field. But he is a, a quintessential three-down running back. And uh, I know he's injury-prone. I think maybe some of the issues early in the year with his playing time were trying to keep him fresh for the end of the season because he's such a dynamic player when he's healthy. But uh, it's become clear that he's better than anything else they have, especially with Rex Burkhead hurt. Gillisley's a good power back, but he, he's not a feature runner. They're a better offense when Deion Lewis is that guy in the backfield, and uh, hopefully he gets more and more touches as the season goes on. It's built, it's trending the right way, but I don't know why it was uh, so few early in the season. You have to give some credit to a much maligned Patriots offensive line. They go into this game against the Jets with a banged-up Tom Brady, dealing with a shoulder injury that caused him to miss two days of practice. He did not get sacked. He did take a few hits, but he didn't get sacked. I thought this was the offensive line's best pass protection performance of the season. For the most part, they did do a pretty good job, and he did throw the ball downfield quite a bit, too, so uh, he needed a little bit more time, and they got it for him. Again, you know, there's only so many hits he can take. He's clearly not quite himself right now, and they've got to be careful. They can't let him take the bumps and bruises he's taken so far. Overall, I thought this was a good Sunday for the Patriots. They they win. They're 4-2. and two. They're in first place in the AFC East. The Kansas City Chiefs lost, so they're 5-1, and one, so that gap gets cut. It's one game, but it's really two because Kansas City would have the head-to-head if they finished with the same record. And I look around the rest of the AFC, and I really don't see a team that's head and shoulders above anybody and that's pulling away. So I thought overall this was a good Sunday for the Patriots, but I still have questions about them moving forward. I think six games into the season, they're a little inconsistent, and they haven't made as much progress as I was hoping, or as I thought they would make at this point. How do you feel about them, Chad? Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, you can look at Sunday two different ways. I mean, they won the game, and it, they've had issues, even in their best seasons, winning at the Jets. Even though the Jets aren't good, uh, it tends to be a tight game, and it's been that way for the last five or six years. So you go in there, get a win, that's all you're counting on. But we, we saw a recurrence of problems that they've had over the course of the season. I still wonder where the pass rush is coming from. 
I don't think they're deep enough at linebacker. Even with Dante Hightower making a couple of really good plays Sunday, they need more there. And with Gilmore out, the defensive backfield still looked like uh, it was in chaos a little bit. So uh, I need to see this defense get better to to believe that this is a real genuine Super Bowl contender. Yeah, and Mike Gillisley had a big fumble too. So a lot of these new additions have not performed as expected for the Patriots. Just real quick here, Chad. I want to know, so you weren't at the game. You, you were watching at home. What's it like when you're in the Chad Finn man cave <laughs> watching the Patriots, getting ready to write your, your column that's going to go up like immediately after the game, all these thoughts you have? Uh, it's uh, iced coffee and locking the family out of the office. That's, <laughs> uh, those are the two keys to the game for me. But uh, I like watching it from home because you can see what the broadcasters and hear what the broadcasters are saying, which you don't usually get at the game. And so... Uh, I think your response is sort of similar to what the people uh, watching at home will have. And you're kind of communicating the same thing that they're seeing with them. Yeah, are, you, are there passes to the Chad Finn Man Cave? Oh, I'll sell you a ticket. Okay. Yeah, yeah let's do that. Let's, let's name a price. I want to go into the Chad Finn <laughs> Touching All the Bases Man Cave. All right, Chad. You're going to stick and stay with us here because there's much more to talk about with the NFL, including a top NFL quarterback who could be out for the season. We'll tell you who that is in just a minute. Welcome back. A quick note, if you like Season Ticket, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Or, if you have an Android phone, check us out on Stitcher or Google Play. Subscribing is the best way to make sure you get the latest episode as soon as it's available. There are plenty of other stories to discuss today. I think the biggest one, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers suffered a broken collarbone against the Minnesota Vikings. Pass rush coming. And Rodgers, a perfect throw, and simply dropped by Martellus Bennett. It would have been a first down, and Rodgers is hurt. He took a big hit at the end of that play just as he got it out, and it looked like he might have landed on that right shoulder. Chad, I don't know if you saw that play with Aaron Rodgers. I did. But but I think that's every fan's worst nightmare of a team with a franchise quarterback, and it certainly makes you grateful that Tom Brady might be hurt, but he's still playing. That changes the complexion of the season for the Packers and the complexion of the NFC. It does, yeah, and it, it, the response to it was kind of interesting to me. If you're following on Twitter or social media, it seemed like everybody was really bummed out by it, even if you weren't a Packers fan, because uh, Rodgers is such a charismatic player, one of the best players in the league, arguably the best quarterback in the league, uh, and to see a guy like that go down when you've already lost players like Julian Edelman this year, Odell Beckham Jr. being injured, J.J. Uh, Watt, it's the attrition of the NFL that is so disappointing when you see star players like that go down, and it wrecked a lot of fantasy football seasons, but I think as a general <laughs> football fan, it was also disappointing to see that happen. Yeah, he's just so good. He is, and he's one of the most fun guys to watch in the league. I mean, he's really magic with what he can do. But when I look at this hit, I don't know what you can do. I mean, the, the prohibitions on hitting the passer are already so extreme that it's very difficult for the defensive players. The reality is that football football's not a contact sport. It's a collision sport. Yeah. And you're not going to take those collisions away. So as much as you want to have Rodgers in the game— and you want to have Odell Beckham Jr. healthy, how can you do that? I don't understand what rules they can change, what else they can do. They've already changed the rules to a point that some of the old school fans don't like it. You know, they, they want it to be more physical. They've done everything they can. Is there anything else, in your opinion, they can do to make sure these guys don't get hurt? Other than putting flags on their hips, no, there really isn't. Uh, quarterbacks are about as protected as they can possibly be. The play where Rodgers got hurt, he was running away from pressure. He stopped to throw the football, basically, and got buried. Just got it. 
It's a football play. It happened. It wasn't dirty. It wasn't malicious. It was just something that's going to happen to quarterbacks here and there. Unfortunately, it happened to one of the faces of the league, and it completely changes the season, not only for the Packers, but in the NFC. I was looking all these years, the Patriots have been at this level. I've wanted to see them play the Packers in the Super Bowl, to see the Brady Rodgers face off. And uh, now it looks like the, that's not going to happen, and probably ever. I mean, Brady's 40 years old. It's hard to believe Rodgers is going to come back at any high level this year if he comes back at all. So, uh, kind of a disappointment, even if you're not a Packers fan. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a letdown. There's no question about it. And Rodgers wasn't the only guy who got hurt. Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback Jameis Winston, he had to leave the game. That's another one. I mean, that's another franchise quarterback, young up-and-coming team, and, and he's out, and you'll see what Tampa Bay does uh, without him. And then also in Jacksonville, another injury. Leonard Fournette, the tremendous rookie running back of the Jacksonville Jaguars, he went down with an injury and a 27-17 loss to the Los Angeles Rams. So, I mean, it was, this was a little bit of a black Sunday for the NFL. I mean, all these guys going down. And, and a lot of times, like you said, I mean, it is sort of a war of attrition. And it's why it's important how you build the depth of your team. And I think that's one of the things with the Patriots sometimes that gets lost is how well they're able to adjust to significant injuries. Like you mentioned Julian Edelman or winning the Super Bowl last year without Rob Gronkowski. I think that's a real staple of their success and why they are the NFL's preeminent franchise is because they're able to lose people and still go. Even when Brady was hurt, look, they, they didn't make the playoffs with uh, Matt Castle in 2008, but they still went 11 and five. I think they're better than any other team in the league at being able to mitigate the damage of these injuries and being able to find another way to get it done. Yeah, it's interesting. They, they always uh, emphasize Belichick has quality of depth. And uh, you look at this roster this year, I don't know if they have it to the degree that they have in the past. They're not as deep at linebacker as they usually are if you lose a player or two here. They're not as deep in, on defensive line. But you've seen it uh, in a positive way a couple of different uh, different points this year. When they lost Julian Edelman, they still had, and Malcolm Mitchell, they still had real high quality at wide receivers. Still Chris Hogan, Danny Amendola, Brandon Cooks, on and on down the line. Um, it is something the Patriots emphasize. I don't know a lot of teams... Uh, do it to the degree that they do. We're going to find out with the Packers, with Brett Hundley at quarterback, uh, how good their backup situation is. But I think it's a necessity in the NFL uh, if you plan on playing deep into the postseason that you can't just emphasize the top 22 guys on your roster. Well, you know, it's a quarterback league. I mean, those guys are the difference makers. I've always said that. I've, I've always felt that way. That's not to minimize the impact of coaching or the other positions. And even in that circumstance, the Patriots are in a better position than most because if Brady did go down, they're turning it over to Jimmy Garoppolo, who a lot of people feel like could be a starter. And, and that Rodgers injury might be one of the reasons why Bill Belichick rebuffed the Cleveland Browns and their million first-round picks in the offseason to hold on to Garoppolo. Because if you build a team to win a Super Bowl and you have a certain window to win and you lose your starting quarterback, most teams are done. They are in a good spot there. And they traded a kid, Jacoby Brissett, uh, who was their third stringer, who's now playing for the Colts. And has had his moments as their quarterback with Andrew Lockout. And just to tie this all back together, we start with Aaron Rodgers. I had a conversation with Garoppolo at the Super Bowl um, last year, and I was talking to him, and he gets to play scout team quarterback a lot for the Patriots, and that means he has to imitate the other quarterback for the Patriots' defense during the week of practice. And I said, who's your favorite quarterback to emulate? That's a great question. And he said, Aaron Rodgers. I feel like there's a lot of similarities to our games. And I thought that was a great answer from Jimmy. And, and I think there are similarities, and that sort of tells you how Jimmy thinks about himself, that he could be an Aaron Rodgers type of, of quarterback. So that's really good uh, there. Um, just quickly, Chad, 
Colin Kaepernick here. I just wanted to get into this. He, he filed this collusion grievance against the NFL owners. He didn't do it with the NFLPA. This is something that's been building. The idea is not in the league and that he feels like he's being blackballed. Your thoughts on this? I think Brandon Whedon was probably the tipping point. When that guy <laughs> got a job and, and Kaepernick was still out there, that was uh, the 100% certainty in his mind that nobody was going to sign him and that it was uh, probably agreed upon among the among the uh, every owner in the league. So we'll see how it goes. It's clearly this is a story that's not going away. Well, I'll tell you, with all these quarterback injuries, there's some jobs open. You would think maybe Colin, he was born in Wisconsin. I don't think it's going to happen. There's a better chance of Tony Romo coming back, I think, than there is Kaepernick, Kaepernick getting a job. Yeah, you're probably right. All right, that's the Boston Globe's Chad Finn. You can find him on Twitter, at Globe Chad Finn. Always a lot of insight, and he's always very witty. That's what I enjoy the most about Chad. Uh, He's a very witty guy, and he brings it. So thanks for coming on Season Ticket, Chad. Thanks, Chris. Finally, a segment we call The Cheap Seats. While technology has made our lives better, easier, and more informed in countless ways, from Google to Alexa, it's making it harder to be a sports fan. Instant Replay was intended to correct mortal sins in sports, not dissect real-time action into split-millisecond venial offenses, like briefly having a foot off a base in baseball or juggling a football while suspended in midair. The foot-off-the-bag pickoff of Washington Nationals catcher Jose Lobaton that killed an eighth-inning rally in Washington's 9-8 loss in Game 5 of the National League Division Series was a captious call. It was a call that replay was never intended for. The same goes for Austin Safarian Jenkins' phantom fumble in Sunday's Patriots win. Replay wasn't designed to parse plays into alternate realities frame by frame. Like most technological advancements, the fault is not in the technology, but in the way humans are using, or more accurately, misusing it. That's it for this edition of Season Ticket. If you like this, be sure to tell a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. For more great sports stories, subscribe to the Boston Globe. Season Ticket is a production of the WBUR iLab and the Boston Globe. I'm Chris Gasper. We'll see you tomorrow.